To the Incan of Immunity podcast. This is Becky today, um, taking the lead. Um, we've got a super special early for Chris, late for our guest, and early for Mike um, session today with Professor Andrew Timming. Do you guys want to say hello? Yeah, hey, this is Chris, 6 30 a.m. or no, 7 a.m. here. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. Mike here. <laughs> So today we are lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Andrew Timming, who has lectured at Cambridge University, the University of Manchester, the University of St. Andrews and the University of Western Australia and the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. So lots of places. He holds a PhD from Cambridge University and is currently associate editor at the International Journal of Human Resource Management and Registered Reports Editor at Human Resource Management Journal. He currently lives in Melbourne, Australia, and researches mental illness, tattoos, and workplace democracy. And in his spare time, he ruminates and writes poetry. So thank you so much for joining us, Andrew, and welcome to the Incan of Immunity podcast. How are you? My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. I'm okay, thanks. How are you guys doing? We're all right. So firstly, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, about your background, what first got you interested in research and tattooing and and things like that? Yeah, well, I guess I could start by saying that the reason I got into tattoo research is that both my brothers are tattoo artists. Not one, but both of them. They're half brothers. We have the same mom and different dads, but they were adopted by my dad when they were children. And here's an interesting anecdote. I don't mean to say anything profound about the nature versus nurture debate, but so my dad is a medical doctor. And so I became a doctor, not that kind of doctor, like the useless kind of doctor, the, the PhD doctor. Of course. <laughs> and my brothers, of course, they were raised by my dad and, and mom. So we had the same environment, but they were always like really good at art. And I was always really shit at art. And um, it turns out that their dad is a tattoo artist as well. Hmm. So I guess I, I kind of always, you know, was raised around art, you know, having two older brothers and having an appreciation for art. Uh, so, so I've never been much of an artist myself, but it just occurred to me, you know, when I uh, went to university and I studied sociology slash social psychology, got my PhD in economic sociology um, and did my dissertation on really the economic sociology of trust. I was a bit sick of that after I got my PhD and got my first lecturing job, which was at the University of Manchester in your country, Becky. Yeah. And um, I just thought to myself, you know, there's not been much research on tattoos in the workplace. At the time, I guess it was 2006 when I started lecturing, just wasn't seen as a very heavily scientific thing to do. Um, and I just thought it would be kind of interesting, just as a side hobby, to do a couple papers on tattoos in the workplace. I started writing about human resource management practices in tattoo shops first. That was my first tattoo paper. So it's basically looking at how tattoo artists who own their own shops manage human resources, having no idea what managing human resources means. But they were still doing it <laughs> innately, which I think said something important about 
the importance of my field, human resource management, which is to say it's not that important if you don't have to think about it to do it. <laughs> and then it's sort of like spiraled. I started, I started getting known as like the tattoo guy who did tattoo research in, in the context of work and employment. Uh, and here I am. So we know that you have, in the last year, moved to Australia, and it's clear that you weren't originally from the UK. So where are you from, and, and what's taking you all over the world? Yeah, as you can probably tell from my accent, uh, I'm originally from the United States. I'm from Minnesota. And yeah, I studied, I studied abroad when I was 16 down in South America. Absolutely loved it. Uh, went back as an undergraduate to Chile and again to, to Argentina. And really loved being abroad so much that I thought um, I should go abroad to get my PhD. Uh, and so I ended up uh, going to Cambridge University in, in England. And I meant just to go there for a couple of years and then come back. But I ended up staying in the UK. My first lecturing job, as I said, was at the University of Manchester. And then after Manchester, I took a job at St. Andrews, which is in Scotland, my son was born in England. My daughter was born in Scotland. And actually, we moved to Australia for almost five years ago, because uh, first I moved to Perth in Western Australia, where I was at the University of Western Australia. Uh, but it was about a year ago that we moved to Melbourne. And uh, we are, we're staying here. You know, we're applying for Australian passports now. So, um, so we do like it here. That sounds lovely. <laughs> So you mentioned there that you, you looked at some sociology and social psychology, and that's obviously incorporated into your perspective and how you approach tattoo and research. So you're an organizational psychologist, is that right? Yes. I guess I started as a social psychologist, social psychology slash economic sociology, you know, for my PhD. Um, but I guess over the years, I've sort of become something of an organizational uh, psychologist mm -hmm. with still, you know, an eye towards social psychology and interested in, in group differences and intergroup differences. Yes. But whereas most, you know, social psychologists, when they look at group differences, they'll look at, you know, race or gender, whereas I'm much more concerned of uh, looking at differences between tattooed and non-tattooed people. But yeah, increasingly, just in, in maybe the last five years or so, I guess my approach sits at the intersection of, of organizational, social, and uh, more recently evolutionary uh, psychology as well. So I look at some of the biological foundations of managing people in the workplace. Yeah. So that's quite um, an integrated approach to looking at tattoos then, I guess. So could you just tell us a little bit about your kind of theoretical underpinnings in, in terms of how you approach the tattooing research? You know, you mentioned there about in-group and out-group, tattooed, non-tattooed people, but as well incorporating an evolutionary perspective. Do you, do you incorporate an evolutionary perspective in, in tattooing research? Um, I have more recently, um, but my earliest studies on tattoos in the workplace primarily looked at discrimination against tattooed job applicants and employees. Uh, so I, you know, I did some ethnographic work where I actually spoke with um, people with visible tattoos and talked with them about their experiences well, essentially failing <laughs> in the labor market. Uh, and I also did um, some ethnographic work sitting down and speaking with uh, hiring managers, so employers about you know, their perceptions of people with visible tattoos when they come mm -hmm. in and apply for jobs. 
I mean, I guess this was back in 2011 or 12 or some somewhere around there. And, you know, a lot of what I found at the time uh, was that there was, you know, significant prejudice against job applicants with visible tattoos. And curiously, the, the prejudice had very little to do with personal prejudices on, on the part of the hiring managers and had much more to do with hiring managers thinking in their minds like, I personally have no problem with tattoos and I kind of like tattoos, but the customers in my shop won't like them and therefore I'm, I'm going to discriminate against people who have that. So it's very curious like imputation of what other people might perceive tattoos to be rather than their own personal prejudice. In fact, a lot of, you know, managers like were really proud of their tattoos. One guy like, you know, in the middle of an interview took off his microphone and ripped off his shirt, show me like his massive, you know, eagle tattoo on his chest. Uh, but of course his conclusion during the interview was no, of course I would, I would never hire anyone to work in my hotel, you know, with the visible tattoo. Mm-hmm. So I did a few uh, studies looking at the sort of negative implications of visible body art in the workplace. Did another paper that looked at basically the effects of tattoos and, and facial piercings on perceived employability, sort of an experimental approach where we showed photographs of people with and without Photoshop tattoos and, and facial piercings uh, to sort of quantify the perceived reduction in, in employability. So that sort of confirmed some of the ethnographic work that I'd done, you know, preceding that. But more recently, just the last couple papers, I've, I've shifted tack a little bit. And instead of looking at the negative effects of body art in the workplace, um, I've had a couple papers recently that look at the positive effects of body art in the workplace. And part of this was maybe just me feeling a little bit guilty when I saw my brothers and they're like, what are you doing? You know, publishing all this research about how tattoos are going to, you know, kill people's job chances. And I felt really bad about it. So I did another part ethnographic and part survey study looking at the positive effects of visible body art in specific organizations that are trying to target a younger demographic of customers. So sort of looking at the sort of employer branding and relationship marketing literature and showing that in certain types of organizations, uh, actually having a tattoo can be an asset rather than the traditional liability. And I don't know how much of that would have been evident when I first started this research, like, you know, 10 years ago. It's possible you may have, you know, found such organizations back then. But I have a feeling that even in the past 10 years, there's just been a general shift towards more positive perceptions towards body art in general. Yeah. So I've done it, you know, I've done a study on the positive marketing type aspects of of tattoos. And then most recently, another study looking at the effects of tattoos on uh, wages. And we had lots of different measures of tattoos in that paper. So we looked at whether or not you had a tattoo. Uh, We had the number of tattoos. Uh, We had whether or not the tattoo was visible and whether or not the tattoo could be considered something offensive. And across all those different categories, we found no significant association with uh, wages one way or the other. Other, And in fact, there was actually one of those four predictors that actually suggested people with tattoos could have higher wages than people without tattoos. So I have a real quick question about that. I, I was curious what you thought about the possibility that tattooed people have more money and can therefore buy tattoos. They can afford to get this this body art. 
we're not really talking about scratcher tattoos among any of these folks. As your brothers probably attest, generally you're spending a fair amount to get some decent tattoos. So maybe there's a relationship there. They are definitely expensive. Um, But just in sort of conversations with my brothers about this particular issue, I think maybe it's because I haven't lived in America for a long time, but I get a feeling that a lot of that economy, the tattoo economy is just by debt. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much money you make to a certain extent because, you know, people will go and take out a loan or they have tons of credit cards or pay for their tattoo with a credit card. And the reason people like tattoos when it comes to debt is that it can't be repossessed. You know, you buy a house or you can lose the house, you buy a car and you don't make your car payments, you lose the car. Nobody's taking that tattoo away from you. So I think people quite like to pay for them, even if they don't have the money to pay for them. But that's, that's just based on sort of anecdotal conversations. I don't have any that data really on that. I don't think anybody has any data on that. That's fast. No. That's a fascinating I- thought. Yes. We'll have to put a pin in that, Becky. That'll be interesting. Yeah. We come back around and, and, and think about how to operationalize that. Yeah, definitely. Yes, yeah, so I think it'd be a good um, behavioral economics experiment. I'm sure there's something to be said on that topic. Speaking um, of which, yeah. um, you, you primed us with an idea about a, a year ago that Mike's been working on, yeah? Absolutely. So we are working on a, a survey to test Um, people's attitudes and perceptions of the health of those with visible tattoos. So yeah, we're we're just in the final stages of of setting up that survey and and hopefully we'll get it deployed very soon. I think this is a super interesting topic to research um, because when it comes to the relationship between tattoos and perceived health, it's really like you're sitting on a fence and it could go either way. So on the one hand, you have these like evolutionary explanations suggesting that body art is an an honest signal of health, uh, with the logic being that essentially you're communicating subconsciously or implicitly with others that you're so strong and you're so healthy that you can literally mutilate your body and still, you know, be healthy and robust and strong. But then there's the other argument, uh, which I think is equally compelling which is that if you look at tattoos, you know, you automatically revert back to, you know, hepatitis, or you might think that this person is unclean uh, in terms of personal hygiene. And I have to say, uh, you know, both of those arguments are pretty persuasive. I mean, I personally, I'm known as this tattoo guy, but I don't have a tattoo myself, which is curious. I think a lot of people are actually surprised by that. And one of the reasons I don't have a tattoo myself is that I have uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and I have this like irrational fear that, you know, I'm going to get, you know, hepatitis or something. I know it's like not very likely. I'm sympathetic to, you know, both sides of that argument. Um, And maybe part of it is due to, yeah, I'll tell the tattoo story. Hell, why not? It's it's relevant. (laughs) We like the Um, tattoo stories. (laughs) Okay. This is a good one. This is a good one. So I told you I was uh, I was in South America when I was 16. That was just an, at a high school like exchange. And then when I uh, started university as an undergraduate, I studied abroad again in South America. I went to the University of, of Chile and I was staying with a host family in Santiago and the host brother, he was an older guy. He's like, hey, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to get a tattoo today. You want to come with me? 
And I was like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. So we took the bus down into the, the central business district of Santiago. And he goes to this like outdoor market. And I remember telling him like, man, are you sure, you know, you want to get a tattoo here? It's like buses, you know, flying by and like dust flying everywhere. Uh, some like Argentine heroin addict came walking up to us and, you know, asking us for money and whatnot right next to the this outdoor stand. He's like, oh, no, it's fine. This is like the Latin American way. This is the way we do it. Like, all right, you go ahead. So we got this little lizard, and um, it's like, ah, you want to get one too? And I'm like, no, no, I don't think so. (laughs) I was like, like, this guy, you know, he might not be here next week. You kind of want to know where these guys are. He's like, oh, no, it's fine. Anyway, to make a long story short, so we went home and he wrapped it up. And it wasn't about maybe four weeks later, he started losing vision. in one of his eyes and so he you know he goes to the ophthalmologist and they couldn't figure it out and so they referred him to another ophthalmologist like kind of how that works in a public health system you start with the junior doctors and you work your way up to the senior doctors and his girlfriend at the time had just gotten back from cuba and he told me that he was convinced that she had gotten some std in cuba and cheated on him and so he broke up with her in a big huff and blamed her for this, thought it was some kind of STD. Anyway, he went through the different chain of ophthalmologists, uh, and eventually they did a test to find out that he had gotten candida, and they believed that he had gotten it from that particular tattoo artist. And so ever since then, I mean, I was sort of on the you know fence about whether I should get a tattoo, because of course I have two, two brothers, you know, two brothers that are tattoo artists, and I know that they would be perfectly hygienic and they would sterilize everything. Uh, but after that, I was just like, eh, "Fuck this!" You know, I like they look <laughs> they look pretty, and I, I like the way they look, but I'm just not uh, I'm not going to risk it. Yeah. So anyway, that was a long way of saying I think it's a really interesting evolutionary psychological slash sociological question. Yeah. Y- your story highlights the extreme difference that we can still see around the world, and we're not talking about a change in generations. We're talking about you know, I don't know how old you are, Andrew, I'm 50, but when uh, I've been getting tattooed since I was in high school, and I've never seen the kinds of conditions in the US like I have in South and Latin America, I had a similar experience in Ecuador and Guayaquil, where they were literally in a vacant lot uh, outside with an extension cord coming from a building around the corner, and a line of people in that vacant lot to get tattoos, and nobody was wearing latex (laughs) gloves or anything. And when they saw my tattoos, they were so excited by the quality of them that they're taking pictures of my tattoos to, to copy. So it, it opened my eyes as to the binary sort of relationship between of hygiene in, in terms of, of how we think about this. And I think that's important mm-hmm. to remember when we, we think about tattooing and we, we put contemporary versus sort of traditional modes in indigenous cultures. But there's actually a whole spectrum of experiences there across the world that are still happening now. Yeah, it's a it's a curious thing, isn't it? The you know, of course, the there's the physical health element of it, where you know, again, the evolutionary argument is that they should suggest you know, a certain level of robustness. But then, if you look at the mental health aspect of it, you know, the research is very, very clear that people with mental illnesses are far more likely to get tattoos than people without mental illnesses. And you know, you could argue that that has something to do with maybe a particular risk-taking personality 
um, that's yeah. associated with both, you know, the mental illness and the tattoos and also possibly, you know, physical health problems. This is what's so interesting, I think, about tattoo research, because it seems like such a sort of small, insignificant thing, you know, whether you have a tattoo, but it's so strongly correlated with personality and values and health and employment opportunities, like it's really one of the stronger group differences in, in social psychology that, that you could look at. Uh, another one that I was interested in, let me just pitch this one to you too, because I was thinking about doing a study that looks at whether there are variations in subjectively reported pain across different demographics of people whilst they're getting a tattoo. So I've got, as I said, my brothers have tattoo shops. I could easily just, you know, ask them to administer a brief questionnaire while people are actually getting the tattoo. Because you can't ask them after the fact. After the fact, it's mm -hmm. kind of hard to rate, you know, how much pain do you feel on a scale of one to 10 or whatever. But I wonder if there are different demographics. Like, is it true maybe that women have a higher pain tolerance than men when it comes to getting tattoos? Is it true that people who have, you know, mental illness um, have a lower pain tolerance. You know, uh, I don't really know what the the answer would be, but I think that that would be a pretty interesting like research question and probably of interest to one of the physical medicine or pain journals out there. Right. Yeah, we do ask people to do pain ratings when we do our our studies of of endocrine and immune response, and in the early iterations of our research, it would be after, but immediately after the tattoo and and our more recent methodology includes a sample right when they start and then an hour in. So technically it would, would still be in the middle of it. Um, but um, we don't have enough data yet to be able to speak to that. Uh, anecdotally, I've heard people who are older say it hurts so much more. With only a few exceptions, most people say it hurts a lot, but it's bearable. Um, I've had a few people just tell me it's off the chart painful and a few people tell me it's not too bad and then promptly pass out, you know, so there's all sorts of interesting <laughs> you know, variables in there. And that was sisters, by the way, both sisters passed out. One was laughing at the other and then she ended up passing out as well. So there, yeah. there, there's probably all kinds of interesting stuff going on in there, but that's that sort of life history approach to it is something that, that we want to tackle in the, in the future. Be interesting, wouldn't it? Because again, anecdotally, you know, I, if I ask my brothers, it's always like some big ass, you know, biker that comes in. He's like, yeah, I want this little tattoo on my back or whatever. And he looks real tough, but of course he's the one who passes out. And then mm -hmm. there's these, yeah. you know, college girls that come in and it, you know, barely hurts them. That's what I love about tattoo research. Like, well, I don't know. That'd be really interesting to look at that. Uh, I wonder if I could bring us back to the article that you mentioned, the positive that you did. Almost for your brothers, but it's a great sample size. And, and we should mention your collaborators, right? You work with Michael French and uh, Caroline Mortensen. And the article, uh, I believe this is the one you're talking about, are tattoos associated with employment and age discrimination, analyzing the relationships between body art and labor market outcomes. You told us a little bit about the what you found, which is that there are no biases in terms of tattooing and, and wages. But How'd you go about this study? This was a great study with tons of great data. What was your approach to this? Yeah. You know, basically, like, we looked at the existing literature, and we're thinking, like, how can we improve on this literature? And he'd done a couple tattoo studies in the past, Michael had. 
he'd published one in the Southern Economic Journal, and it used a, I can't remember, it was a secondary data set that had asked, you know, whether or not someone had a tattoo. Um, and I'd done a couple studies in the past. And what we realized is that there was a real poverty of measures when it comes to tattoos. The predominant measures, do you have one or not? Which is a pretty useless, you know, measure if you think about it. There's a lot that really goes on beyond the question of whether or not you have a tattoo. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to, rather than be at the mercy of secondary data sets, you know, on health that have asked this question, do you have a tattoo or not? We wanted to design our own survey so that we could have our own measures and a much more comprehensive set of, of predictors and, you know, covariates that we thought would be, you know, useful to include in our models. So we designed our own survey. Uh, and we, as I said, we had four, maybe five measures, whether or not you have a tattoo, the number of tattoos you have, whether or not it's visible, and whether or not it's offensive. And then we had another one, which was something around like what percentage of your body would you estimate is covered by tattoos, but that one yeah. didn't yield sufficiently useful data to use. Um, so we were able to run, you know, multiple variations of that tattoo variable. And across every single variation, you know, we found the exact same thing. Because then I guess our thoughts going into is, well, maybe we couldn't find a relationship because everyone's just been using this simple dichotomous measure of whether or not you have a tattoo but maybe if we have a bit more sophistication in how we measure it we might be able to find some effects um, but no nope still no effects so nothing by gender no disparity for for tattooed women versus tattooed men or anything like that i'd have to look more closely it's been a while since i've actually looked at that paper but my recollection tells me that no I mean, we did probably have a few significant, in fact, I'm 100% sure we had a few significant covariates, but my recollection tells me no. That's fascinating. So so basically the upshot is tattooed people are not stigmatized in the workplace. And I think, you, as you say, we can go back to focusing on things that we know are, are stigmatizing, sex, uh, a race, uh, disability. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the, the general conclusion is, you know, there are characteristics of individuals that subject them to prejudice and discrimination, but this isn't one of them. And it's curious because if you ask people, they feel like they they are subjected to prejudice and maybe they are subjected to prejudice. I guess the point of the paper is there's no discrimination in terms of the behavioral aspect of it. But yeah, there were maybe three papers, one of which was Michael's that was published in the Southern Economic Journal. There was another economist from the Netherlands who'd done a similar study, collected his own data. He found the same thing. So there's a small emerging literature over the last couple of years that is suggesting that regardless of how people feel, there is no basis for you know, suggesting that people with the tattoos are subjected to, uh, to any wage discrimination at all. It's not to suggest that there aren't certain circumstances in which they do. I'm sure there are certain categories of employment where having a visible tattoo does, in fact, lower your chances of success. But in aggregate, there doesn't seem to be an issue. One thing that I think we didn't look at in that paper that would be interesting to look at would be the effects of different genres of tattoos. Right? So we did look at whether or not you had an offensive tattoo, but so few people had, or at least would admit to having 
offensive tattoos. It was like 2% of your sample, right? Yeah, it was pretty, pretty small. But I guess what I'm saying is I don't think the matter is completely closed yet. In spite of that emerging literature, I think there are still some interesting research questions to ask. Well, we're in Alabama. So for instance, Confederate flag tattoos might be to some people seen as offensive and others seen as heritage. So Mike, we could probably track down some Confederate flag tattoos here in Alabama and follow up on that forum. Yeah, I'm sure we could. Um, we heard that you have a new book in the works. Uh, we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yes. I'd like to get some advice from you on how to approach this. So I'm writing a book, and the book is about tattoos. And what I'd like to do is each chapter to take a different disciplinary approach to tattoos. So there'll be one chapter looking at the history of tattoos, the modern history, another chapter looking at the ancient history. So this is where you get into some of the evolutionary psychology that we talked about in terms of tattoos being an honest signal of health and looking at the sort of evolutionary origins of tattoos. And then another chapter on the economics of tattoos and looking at you know, most of which is what I've done in my research, looking at the sort of labor market effects of, of tattoos. So I've put together a draft chapter. I actually wrote the second chapter first. You know, the chapter that looks at the evolutionary psychology of tattoos is a sort of draft chapter. But I have to say, I'm having a hell of a time finding a university publisher. I've sent it off to a few university presses. And the problem I'm having is that I go to the university press page and they don't have like a interdisciplinary editor. They have editors by disciplines. And so you'll, it's the typical problem with interdisciplinary research, isn't it? Like you'll send it to a sociologist and they'll say, this is you know, art. You should send it to the art person. And then you send it to the art person. And they're like, well, this is social science. You should send it to the social science person. You send it to the economics editor and they're like, well, this is sociology and art. Like no one seems to want to sort of take ownership of it because it is like true interdisciplinary research. So I'm almost at the stage where I'm thinking maybe I should just forget about the disciplinary labels and instead just write a popular, you know, popular press book without like, you know, the theory and the in-text references and whatnot uh, and just try and get like a, maybe an art press or something like that to publish it. And I'm curious what, what advice you might have as a, a group of people who've done tattoo research yourselves and probably have faced the same kind of interdisciplinary obstacles. We're still there. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we're all, we're all in a similar position. The the market out there has historically been a, a, a non-academic and that's, that's changing. I just got a book finally submitted and went through three different editors, all of whom had to be told what this is about again. So unfortunately the nature of academic publishing that they, they divide things up like that. You know, I mean, we're talking about, you know, something that has broad popular appeal and that, you know, one in three Americans now are, are tattooed, like this huge audience. But in terms of our academic interpretations of it, you know, most tattoo artists that I talk to about it, you know, they're initially interested that we're tattoo researchers, but they're so accustomed to tattooing being super cool and people being like, ooh, ah, you're a tattoo artist, that they're sort of underwhelmed and underimpressed by us too, unless we can you know, find a sweet spot to like pique their interest. You know, I, I think we, we also struggle. This podcast is one way to sort of build a platform and see who out there is interested in a bunch of um, pointy headed academics interested in tattooing, uh, talking to each other, you know? 
let's create our audience for the book for your book, Andrew, right here, right now. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because academics don't seem to be very interested in this topic for various reasons. I don't know why. Maybe there's the research question there too, but everyone else is. Mm-hmm. Like you know, my research. I guess it, you know, it hasn't made a lot of waves in terms of citations in the academic community, but every time, I don't know about you guys, but every time I get a tattoo paper published, I get like media requests like crazy. Like my research has, you know, been discussed in the economist and the financial times and the BBC, like everyone else seems to love it. And there seems to be a real appetite because it's a personal interest story. Like either everyone has a tattoo or they know someone with a tattoo. Um, But for some reason, academics don't seem to care much about it, do they? Well, I think we can pull them along, right? I mean, we want our we want our scholarship to be meaningful, I hope. And I think that your research on job prospects, I mean, that's, that's hugely important, right? That's hugely important in everyday lives. How many of us can say that our academic research has implications for the everyday lived life of people who are trying to either hide their tattoo or display their tattoo to get a barista, bartending, or bouncer job. I mean, I think your research is wonderful in that respect. You know, considering the granularity I complain about tattooing studies lacking, you know, like you said, how many tattoos do you have? Where are they? All these sort of nuances that are hard to operationalize. To talk a little bit about some of your other research, you and your your colleagues have looked at people in different occupations and how tattoos can either be beneficial or or negative yeah um i think we'll wrap it up there thank you so much again for joining us and staying up so late to talk to us do you have any websites social media or anything that you want to plug that you know if people want to get in touch or anything like that yeah i mean i'm pretty active on twitter my twitter handle is at timming lab t-i-m-m-i-n-g-l-a-b uh and then i have Um, Just as a side hobby, nothing serious or anything like that. But I have another website called DireEd, D-I-R-E-D.com, where I talk about the dire state of of higher education, just basically a critique of universities these days and the insanity that we all have to deal with. Here, here. That sounds interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I I just had a faculty senate meeting yesterday. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) well thank you again so much yeah it's been a pleasure thank you andrew it has thank you andrew thanks andrew yep thanks for listening we're on twitter at inking underscore immunity and on instagram and facebook at inking dot of dot immunity the hosts of the show are dr chris lynn and mike smetana at the university of alabama and dr becky owens at uk sunderland Kira Yancey is the production manager. Thanks to the University of Alabama Anthropology Department for helping make this show possible. You can find our full, unedited Season 2 interviews on our Facebook page or watch them happening live on Facebook most Wednesday mornings. See you next time.